good to be with y'all this morning. The Lord gave us traveling mercies to get up to Atlanta and back to visit with Megan's family. Um, I don't miss living up there. <laughs> There's a whole lot of people. Um, so it's good to be back here this morning. Hope you've been praying for the service. Um, as you continue to do that as we go forward um, to get a note in the mail. So, uh, Fairhaven Church, thank you so much for your continued help and support of the source sale. Couldn't do it without your helping with the food and getting all the buyers fed. Thank you again. We really appreciate all of you. Love, Chandler and Jess. Um, are there any announcements we need to make before we go to Lord in prayer? Brother Terry? Y'all probably have already seen that in your mom and she went to the doctor last Monday and said, y'all, because she's still sick. We called her and she don't get better on the back of the doctor. She didn't take a message that doctor out for her. She's still real sick. Couldn't hear. Sister Larissa has pneumonia, so please remember her. Just one. Oh, my first cousin, Barbara Marshall, that she and her husband has visited over the years. Um, she passed away yesterday morning, and um, I'm, Leah has rearranged her schedule to help me or help take me down for the funeral on Wednesday, and it's a seven-hour drive. It's um, in West Palm Beach. And so please, I'll pray for traveling mercies and for the Marshall family, please. Mm-hmm. Sister Sarah? Um, I was just going to say, remember, Justin and Belle, I saw where they an increased Belle's chemo, or they're splitting it, I'm not sure. Rosie's chemo? Rosie's, I mean, I'm tired. Yeah, Rosie's chemo. You know if they increase it or if they're just splitting it? You know? She said it's increased. Sister Sandra? I'm sorry to hear that. Sister Marty's not feeling well. Remember her and uh, Brother Glory, Brother Sister Glory, and Brother Richard. I've got uh, family in, so that's where they are today. So remember them. Let's continue to remember her son. Dwayne and his stomach issues. Sister Lori? Remember Jimmy and Martha and Elaine will be traveling here Tuesday night. Amen. All minds are at peace. And Brother Mike, you want to lead us in prayer? Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for being able to be in the house. We're so blessed beyond all measure that we did. the song service this morning. appreciate um, even the songs I didn't know so well. Reading the lyrics, sometimes it's one you haven't sung a lot that you can see with fresh eyes. Um, but it was a, definitely a theme of our desire to, to love the Lord more and to have more of our heart given to Him in, every day. And so I'll be praying for this service. Um, 
I'd like us to start in Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read the first six verses. I just want one clause, but y'all know me. I don't like to do anything without giving context. Um, Jumping in the middle of a sentence doesn't seem like a good idea, so we're just going to read in, and we're going to snag the clause that we want. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, the Apostle John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimonies of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep the things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is and which was, and which is just to come. It's a good description of the I Am, right? The eternal God, the Jehovah, Him which is, which was, and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before His throne, referring to uh, the Holy Ghost, and from Jesus Christ. So He's bidding you peace and grace from all parts of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the clause that I want this morning, you on the rest of that at your leisure, is that by His blood and washing us from our sins, He's made us something. He described us as being made, verse 6, made us kings and priests unto God. I'm not going to try and deal with kings this morning. I just want to look at the concept of you being a priest unto God. You're made a priest by Jesus Christ, life and work, death on the cross and resurrection, and now you are a priest unto God. And his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Okay, and if you read through the book of Revelation, you'll see at least two other references to be being made kings and priests. Alright? So what does that mean? Does that mean y'all are supposed to go find some cows? We know we got a source for some cows and goats. Are we supposed to do animal sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament? Y'all know that's not it. But why do we know that's not it? I want to go look at 1 Peter for a moment. 1 Peter, just back a few books. 1 Peter Peter in chapter 2. Again, we're going to start at the beginning of the sentence. So we'll pick up in verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, Wherefore, now when you see wherefore, that's a, that's a because. So all that's come before, you need to go read that to really understand the wherefore. I won't do that for the sake of time this morning, but I'll go read First Peter chapter 1 so you understand exactly what the wherefore is whereforing. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies, envy, envies and all evil speakings. These are good descriptions of the flesh, right? Things we did as the old man. Lay those aside. Put them apart. And instead, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. 
If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming, you're coming to the Lord, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious. This is referring to coming to Jesus. He is that that chief cornerstone that was rejected by all the religious leaders, the ones who were looking for the Christ and Messiah. They said, nope, not him. But he was indeed chosen of God. He was very precious. That's who you come to. Chosen of God and precious. Verse 5. And ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So, no, you were not called to literally sacrifice animals or literally burn incense or any of the other things that were under the Old Testament rules for the Levitical priests, those who were born in the tribe of Levi. But you are called to offer up spiritual sacrifices, those that are acceptable to God by the work of Jesus Christ. You could have done it before or tried to, but it wouldn't have been accepted but for Jesus Christ. So, how's that work? <laughs> right? You see later down in that same chapter, down at verse 9, it describes you, says, you are a chosen generation, chosen by God, a royal priesthood, remember that kings and priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar or particular people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So why were you chosen to be priests? You were chosen to show forth praises of Him that called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's the why. Show forth praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people. Remember the Gentiles? There was nothing special about y'all. Y'all were just others. We were others. We were not a people. But have been now made a people of God. Now are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You're a priesthood, chosen to show forth the praises of Him. Alright, so let's think, try and look specifically of how. Okay, how, how do I do this? How does this affect my interaction in this world and as I try to serve God? Let's go back to Revelation for a minute. I want you to look at Revelation chapter 5. Brief context is uh, they've got the book. Um, it's got the seven seals. There's no one who could open it. And then there appears one who can. And that's the, the Lamb. Verse 6 says, I beheld, lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a Lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that, stood on the, that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. And this is what they had. These four and twenty elders. Every one of them having harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. 
sometimes when you pray, it feels tedious. It feels forced. Maybe I'm just speaking for me. It feels like you're not making it past the ceiling tiles. But know this. That when you pray, your prayers are making it indeed all the way to the throne room and are apparently gathered and put in these golden vials and they release a sweet odor that's pleasing to the Lord. They're heard. And they're enjoyed by more than just the Lord. You see later in chapter 8 of Revelation, after he's gone through opening the seals, it says, When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and them which were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, this thing that's designed to hold uh, coals and put incense on. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of all the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So not only are your prayers being gathered and their sweet odors in these vials, apparently it's also going to be mixed with incense and burned upon a golden altar in heaven. If you need anything to get you out of your own small-minded self, which is probably my problem, is I'm focused too much on self when I'm praying and not realizing I'm coming before the God of all the universe. I have the right to be here by Jesus Christ, by the way that He made through His body, and that He will hear these prayers and that they're pleasing to Him. They're pleasing to Him. And we talked about last week about repentance, about how there's more joy in heaven from one lost sinner repenting than all those who don't need repentance. And so regardless of where you're at, it's good to pray. It's pleasing to the Lord to pray. It's good for you to pray because you're being obedient. Okay? So this is one of the things that you are doing in your role as a priest of the Lord is that you are offering up a spiritual sacrifice of prayer. Um, and not just, not just any, any old kind of prayer. Um, if you're anything like me, sometimes I get into a rut with trying to check all the boxes of the folks who are physically having issues. Right? There's a lot more to praying than just recounting the physical needs among us. That's important, but that's not the whole thing. And I won't spend the whole morning just speaking on prayer, but just to give you something to frame your mind a little bit different, look at Philippians chapter 4 and start in verse 4. It says, Rejoice! Because things are good in your life, because you don't have any problems, because you're out of debt and everything's just hunky-dory. No. Says, rejoice in the Lord always. He's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You have something to rejoice about always. That's a greater gift than any trouble you've got. You have something to rejoice in. Rejoice in the Lord always, just because you and I tend to forget it. The Holy Spirit told Paul to repeat it. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known 
unto all men, self-control. The Lord is at hand. Are you praying like the Lord is at hand? Do you want the Lord to be at hand? That hand being, is He about to come back? Are we acting and governing ourselves and are we praying that He could come back when I finish this prayer? Lord, come quickly, even so, yea and amen, and whoa! Are you praying like that's real? Are we acting like the Lord is at hand? Are we redeeming the time in that much deliberate intensity? Y'all ever had your boss say, I'm going to be back in 10 minutes and that project's going to be finished? Or maybe it's an hour, right? There's a new, what? Urgency in how you govern it. All other things are going to go to the side. I can't take that call right now. I can't have that cup of coffee right now. Get out of my office. I'm <laughs> I've got to focus on what my master in this context has called me to do. He's coming back. <laughs> Y'all need to focus. I need to focus. Our master's coming back. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Well, what about the things that really bother me? Can I be careful about those? I don't see an exception there. And that give care, that worry, be anxious. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. So you're praying, your supplications are when you're asking, and then embedded within all that is the thanksgiving. That's praise. Thanksgiving is the acknowledgement for what God has already done and who He is. Okay? Be careful for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known, made known unto God. Okay? So we are offering up spiritual sacrifices as priests. One of those elements is prayer. And it's, it, it looks very similar to what you have in the Old Testament when it's offering up incense. And it's a sweet odor before the Lord. As you're praying what your needs are, your desires, but also in giving the acknowledgement and thanksgiving to God for who He is and what He's done. Okay? Go to Hebrews chapter 15. Nope. Oh, you'll have a hard time finding Hebrews chapter 15. It stops at 13. 13, verse 15. By Him therefore, it's referring to Jesus, it's the Him, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God on occasion, on Sunday mornings, when something good really, really happens, when I see a miracle. Yeah, all those times too. But it says... Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. You continually have something to brag about your God on. And what is praise? It says, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Are you giving thanks to the name of the Lord continually? If you're doing that continually, guess what? A lot of the mullygrubs and the I don't haves and the I wanna's are going to seem a lot smaller because you're realizing who and how great it is that you're talking to, that you're praying to, and what a worthy He is of our praise. So that's one thing. Sacrifice of praise to our God. Giving thanks verbally. 
Next verse gives us another one. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. We've got two other sacrifices mentioned here. Sacrifices of doing good and to communicate. Alright? Does that mean I'm supposed to talk a lot? No. Communicate is Bible code for giving. Giving of your goods, of your means, of your time to those in need. What about doing good? That's kind of broad. Yeah, it is. There's no narrow little checkbox. I've done this. Do good. It is a broad category of how you can serve God. Offering a sacrifice by doing good. And what you know, if you need need a little bit more meat to that, that reminds me of Micah. Back to Micah. Chapter six. So if you can find Jonah, it's right after that. Micah six. Maybe start in verse six. It says, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? And this is someone who should do I literally need to bring these calves? Do I need to come and burn them? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? If we offered up any of those things, would the Lord really be pleased? And then he answers this verse that you've known, but this is what he's answering in Micah 6.8. He's shown thee, O man... What's good? And what did the Lord require, expect of you, require of thee? Do justly. Love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. I want to do good. Okay. What's good? Do justly. Do justice. Do that which is right. Treat men fairly. Love mercy. That's mercy's compassion. That's charity. That's kindness. That's undeserved grace. Not begrudgingly, well, I'm supposed to do this here. Right? We can do the right thing with a sorry attitude. Do justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with our Lord. Okay? Walking humbly with our Lord. Now, if you'll turn with me a couple books forward, I want to look at the book of Malachi. You did your homework this week. You probably read through it at least once, hopefully more than once. You were here Wednesday night. We read through it um, together. We even uh, reformatted the text a little bit to kind of make it easier to see who's talking. And if you want a hard copy of that, it's out there on the table. Um, but this is the last book in the Old Testament, right? Jews have come back out of captivity. They have been called to rebuild the temple and the wall, and they've done that. And now you're at some point beyond that where they're actively practicing in the temple again. They're going about the law, but they're not doing it in a very good way. And so the Lord is sending a uh, prophet, Malachi, to, to rebuke them because they have not cared about their service to God. 
It's come off as um, a burden, a drudgery, something to give half-hearted effort to. So that's all your, your context, and y'all can go watch the service from Wednesday night if you want a full breakdown of the whole overview of the whole book. But I just want to look at one section, and this is Malachi chapter 2, picking up at verse 4. Specifically, the Lord is speaking to the priests at this point, and He is going to describe what a faithful priest looked like. And as we're reading through this, I want you to be thinking about how this applies to you. Now, he's not, not writing this directly to you, but I think the lessons here translate very well. Okay, Verse 4 it says, And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts, and my covenant was with him of life and peace. And I gave them, that being life and peace, to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. There's a lot going on in these couple verses, couple three verses. Your first characteristics I want you to think about this morning, and I want you to think about it in terms of you. For the fear wherewith he feared me. That's your first characteristics of a faithful priest is that the priest fears the Lord God. Anyone who does not fear the Lord doesn't have the Lord big enough in their head. God is mighty. God is awesome. God is terrifying. There is no beginning to end of Him. There is no capacity that could constrain Him. He has all power. He is the Sovereign. Put it in you know, human terms. Imagine you met somebody who was known to be um, very powerful and of quick temper, but had complete discretion over country. They, someone like Stalin, right? If you went and stood before Stalin, who had it at his word, could have you put to death immediately, would you have a little trepidation in his presence? And he had just a little bit of power. I'm not saying God has the character of Stalin. Please don't confuse that. But when you stand in the presence of somebody who has a significant power here below, that causes a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation. And if you have any understanding about our great God, He's worthy of your fear. Okay? And if you don't fear Him right now, study His Word. Learn about Him. Your understanding of Him is too small. My understanding of Him is too small. I have a finite brain. I cannot comprehend Him all. But the more I learn about them, the more I should be in awe and wonder and righteous terror of what a great and mighty and awesome God He is. So the first thing is that they feared me. They feared me. Second, 
It was afraid before my name. It's one thing to fear God Himself. It's another thing to be fearful even before His name. What do you mean by that? Well, we're not to take the Lord's name in vain, right? And sometimes we kind of think that that's all, all it is. In your role as a priest of the Almighty God, you have taken on His name. When people call you a Christian, that is a follower of Christ, you should fear to cause reproach upon that name. His name is worthy of honor. His name is worthy of respect. It is not, not worthy of shame or reproach. That was what David was, was charged with by the prophet Nathan. As he had done, when he sinned, he had caused the enemies of God to have great occasion to reproach the name of God. It brought shame. To be afraid before my name. Not only in how we speak His name, but now we govern ourselves as a reflection of His name. Okay? What else? The law of truth was in His mouth. The law of truth was in His mouth. So two things there. If you're going to have the law of truth in your mouth, where you're able to share it, where does it have to be first? Your head and your heart. Right? You can be willing to share, but if you have no substance to it, sometimes it's better to keep our mouth shut. Right? The law of truth was in his mouth. And this reminds me of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And y'all will be familiar with this, and you'll be familiar with it in the context of preachers. but I want to challenge you this morning that this is not just limited to preachers. You're all priests. You're all servants of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's just start in verse 14. It says, Of these things, put them in remembrance. It's not just saying, Timothy, you need to remember this. He says, you need to remind them, followers of Christ. Put them in remembrance charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. That is arguing over semantics. It's arguing about particular words. It is so demoralizing to see people of God, particularly if you want to see their interactions on the internet, arguing nitpicky word choices, particularly when it's words that aren't even found in the Bible. That striving is about words with no profit. That's not what you need to put your time and energy in. Because what's, what's the result? It says it's to the subverting of the hearers. So the folks who are watching these conversations unfold as people are arguing about words and semantics, you're causing damage to your hearers. He said, remind you, that's not it. That's not what you're to do. Verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Study to show thyself approved unto men so I can look really good and smart. No. 
study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You want a, a mental image for this. As you're going through and reading the Scripture and you're finding a theme that traces all the way from the Old Testament and through it and comes to the New Testament, as you're getting these pieces and weaving it together, you have to have some level of precision. It's kind of like coming at it with a scalpel, putting a little jigsaw puzzle, put it here, and you get the next jigsaw puzzle and you put it together and you can lay it all out. And it just it's there. You don't have to force it. You never force a jigsaw piece. If you're doing that, it's probably not right. That's one way of rightly dividing the Word. Another way is taking a chainsaw and taking these hunks of pieces, smashing them together, put some wood glue, and say, look, see, it fits! Well, it's jagged, it's nasty, it's rough. It's kind of hard to argue with somebody with a chainsaw. Is that rightly dividing the Word? There's effort that goes into it to study, to understand what's there, and to see how the Lord has woven this beautiful tapestry throughout His Word. Verse 16 says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. So you notice how it starts with that in verse 14, striving about words with no profit. Then there's true diligent study, rightly dividing. And then it comes out and shun profane, worthless, empty babblings. They will increase unto more ungodliness. The result of engaging in that type of empty, vain, idle talk is more ungodliness. Not only that, it says that word's going to be like a canker. I don't use that word canker, but imagine gangrene. Something that's rotting. And it gives an example of two guys, of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Okay. We want to have the law of truth in our mouth. And to be ready with that, we need to study. Rightly dividing. A workman. Work, this, there's effort involved with this. I and mean, that's really what the study, study there is pointing to. is about the labor and giving attention to His Word. So you can have the law of truth in your mouth. And the next is there's no iniquity in your lips. I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. You say this is this is just obvious, yeah. Okay, let's be reminded then. Ephesians chapter four and in verse twenty nine that as a priest of God you're not to have iniquity in your lips. Four twenty nine says, "Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth." Corrupt. That's rotten, decaying, defiling anything that's not good and positive and edifying and building up those around you. Don't put it in your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, the purpose of building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. No iniquity in your mouth. Those are a good summary of iniquity in your mouth. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. Put it away with all malice. And instead be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake 
hath forgiven you. Why do I forgive somebody? Because they deserve it? No. I didn't deserve it when Christ forgave me. When God forgave me, He forgave me for Christ's sake. And that's the same reason you're called to forgive one another. Alright? Let's go back to Malachi. Alright, so we're fearing God. We feared His name. We have the law of truth in our mouth. We have no iniquity in our lips. It says, He walked with me. Now who's speaking? God. The Lord of hosts is speaking. He walked with me. You are to walk with God. Now there are some uh, famous characters in the Bible who are described as walking with God. Enoch. right? Enoch, the sixth from Adam. You didn't hear about his prophecy until all the way in the book of Jude. But he walked with God and he was not. You know that Noah was described as walking with God? Yeah. And he, God sent to Abraham to walk before me? You, you want, you want to walk with God. But that immediately leads me to Amos 3.2 which says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And the obvious answer to that is no. And so if you're walking with God or trying to walk with God and you're not agreed... Who needs to change? It ain't God. If you flip to the next uh, chapter in Malachi, it says, For I am the Lord, I change not. When we were looking at the characteristics and attributes of God, that was one of the things. His immutability, His unchangingness, He does not change. So if you are finding that you are not walking with God this morning, it's not God's fault. He doesn't change. He's on the right path. You need to get beside him. Can two or more can two walk together except they be agreed? No. So this priest, he walked with me both in peace and in equity. When you think about that, that peace with, with God, and you also think about that peace with men. Right? And equity means that which is right, equal, just. You're governing your life both directly with God and among men in a manner that is peace and equity. Okay? And he affirmatively, he did something. He did turn away many. Turn many away from iniquity. It's not just enough to be doing the right thing, but when you see your brothers and sisters starting to go the wrong way, you have to speak up as a role of priest to the high God, you have an opportunity to turn many away from iniquity. You know what could be an example of that? Go, go to Jude. Just mention that last, uh, second to last book of the Bible. Starting in verse uh, twenty-one, it says, "Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life." So that's governing yourself. And you're waiting for Christ to come back and acting like He's about to come back. In 22, and says, And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So you've got two different methods for how you can approach aiding your fellow 
brothers and sisters in Christ. In some situations, you have to have compassion, love, mercy. Some, and don't be confused by this, save, I mean, think of it in terms of deliver. You need to deliver them with fear, with telling the truth, the hard truth of what pleases God and what does not please Him. Your job is not to coddle one another with lies, but with others, say, with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And that requires discernment to determine which needs to be applied then. Can I turn someone away from iniquity with love and compassion? I, I would start there. And if it doesn't, then go with the fear. And that's not that I'm going to beat you up. It's the fear of this is what the Lord says. This is what's right. You're doing wrong. Turn many away from iniquity. What is it not doing? It's not saying, well, yeah, I think that's all right. Lord knows your heart. You'll be all right anyway. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, just that mushy kind of I'm not good for anything, friend, if I'm just going to go along with whatever you think you want to do anyway, if I know it's not pleasing the Lord. You know, one of the descriptions for a pastor is being a watchman on a wall. And if I see a danger, I have to call it out. Because if I don't, and y'all are impacted by it, your blood's on my head. If I do call it out, and you don't heed the warning, I've done my job. (laughs) But I have to call it out. And so in that sense, y'all are also watchmen for your brothers and sisters. And did turn many away from iniquity. Alright? What else we got? The priest's lips should keep knowledge. Keep knowledge. Alright? You're attentive to the knowledge. You're using it correctly. You're judging appropriately. Um, there's a, an element within the priest's role in Levitical um, times of, of being a decider among men of cases. Um, this, this element of being like a judge. It's Deuteronomy 17, verse, starting in verse 8. It says, if there, if there arise a matter too hard for thee in judgment, between blood and blood, between plea and plea, and between stroke and stroke, being a matter of controversy within thy gates, then thou shalt arise and get thee up into the place where the Lord thy God shall choose, and thou shalt come unto the priests, the Levites, and unto the judges that shall be in those days, and inquire, and they shall show thee the sentence of judgment. And thou shalt do according to the sentence which they of that place which the Lord shall choose shall show thee, and thou shalt observe to do according to all that they inform thee, according to the sentence of the law which they shall teach thee, and according to the judgment which they shall do, thou shalt do. And they shall not decline from the sentence which they shall do to the right hand or to the left. So there was an affirmative obligation for the priests and the Levites and judges to be there to settle controversies. And people had to listen to it. All right, so how would, that, how would that pull forward into New Testament times? Paul discussed that in the first Corinthians letter. First letter to the Corinthians. And there was a really bad practice going on at this time where you had church members suing other church members. They were going to court. 
This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting verse 1. It says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints, and that unjust being the world, the Gentiles, those who are outside of the faith. You're going to go to them to settle your issues and not before the saints. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye not unworthy to judge the smallest of matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. It is so that is is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore it is utterly a fault among you. Because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. It is better just to throw up your hands and let the other person win the case than, than to go before Gentile, the, the world to, to have your issues arbitrated. But within the church, it says that you have the ability to judge these matters. You don't have to take it to an outside court. That's, that's an element of being able to hear and rightly apply. Right? And that's not with the preference or partiality among men. Well, you've been here longer, so I'm going to favor you, or you've got more money, I'm going to favor you. That's all that respect or a person's garbage that's spoken against over and over and over again. Okay? And then next is, others will seek knowledge at his mouth. So you should have a reputation that folks can, one, come to you to hear what the Lord would say about such things. And you're not just making that up. You're giving them Scripture to back it up. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Start in verse 19. It says, Nevertheless, 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for his master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So, as priest of the Most High God, as a servant of God, this apt to teach thing don't just apply to me. Apt to teach, gentle unto all men, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, those who are going on that path of iniquity, 
They're opposing themselves by not following the Lord. You're meekly, humbly teaching them in hopes that the Lord will give them the repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Okay? So if others are seeking the law at your mouth, we need to be prepared to teach. It's one thing to say what you believe. It's something very different to teach. Right? Well, I've got one catchphrase, and this is how I explain the concept. If that catchphrase doesn't translate to somebody, they don't understand, can you express it another way? If all you have is just kind of this superficial knowledge, you'll be in real trouble. But you and I, as priests of the Most High God, we need to seek to have our hearts and minds and lives prepared so that folks will be, one, comfortable coming to speak to us of Him and His Word. And what we'll point them back to is Him and His Word. Not just the I think or the I feel or that well, me personally. Those, that's easy. You can give your opinion until you're blue in the face and it's not worth anything unless you've got something to back it up with. Okay? Let's go see what the, the last description is here in Malachi. His priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That host means armies, masses. The Lord of hosts. You're his messenger. Okay. Maybe you've never been a messenger. Maybe that word doesn't translate with you. Let's see about 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Maybe this will be more relatable. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in verse 20, it says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador. You don't know what an ambassador is. We've got ambassadors here in this country. They come from other lands. They're here to represent their government's interest. If they have a king, they're sovereign. It's what pleases him. If you want to go visit them, you go into an embassy. That's technically that country's land here. Same thing for U.S. embassies overseas. You know what this church is? It's an embassy. This is the Lord's land. This is the Lord's house. And you're all ambassadors. And so every time you're out of the embassy, out in this other nation, as strangers and pilgrims, you are in an official capacity representing your sovereign, representing your king. What you do and say should represent him well. Now there's been some really bad ambassadors through the years who get in trouble in these countries where they commit crimes and they get murder and it's just like terrible, terrible things and for some reason they can't get prosecuted here and they get get sent home and have to leave. But they cause shame to their government by their poor actions. Same thing, we don't want to cause the Lord's name any shame as His messenger We want to be faithful messengers, not supplanting or replacing His will with our own, not His truth with our, air quotes, truth, but we're representatives of Him, His interests. And we need to govern ourselves in that. And and thinking in those official terms, y'all ever been out and about uh, in your job and you're wearing your, your ID and you know that you represent your boss or your company at that time? 
you have a little bit different awareness of knowing that whatever I do here, if I'm seen acting a fool, it's going to impact somebody and they might get a call about it and it might affect me. And so that's a selfish reason, but it's the same way. You're not here on your own. You have been bought and paid for with somebody's blood. You're His personal servant. Okay? So those are all the good examples that these priests um, were doing. These are good things. This is the the faithful priest. In the following verses, it's going to give some things to give you caution. Because this letter of Malachi was coming down on folks because they were not doing this. It says, but ye, this is verse 8 of chapter 2, but ye are departed out of the way. You're not walking together with the Lord anymore. He hasn't changed. He's still there. You've departed out of the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. Malachi 2, 8. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. That's the opposite of leading people away from iniquity. Turning people away from iniquity and going to sin. Say, no, don't do that. This is where you're, you're part of the reason they do. Whether they see what you're doing and they think it's okay, or whether you're giving them bad advice, but they are falling on their faces and you're part of the problem. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore I have also made you contemptible and base before all men, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. So we talked about having that faithful role of being a judge and a discerner among men in certain issues. If you're partial in the law, you're not doing that. You want those to be treated equally. And this is one who's saying, I've got my thumb on the scale. The one who's given me the bribe, the one who's got the better pedigree, whatever. Whatever wrong thing that you're applying undue influence to, you're allowing something to color your judgment instead of dealing righteous judgment. What's good? What's good? Do justly. Love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Okay? So this is a, the negative thing that this priests are doing. Elsewhere in this book, we'll just look at it real quickly. You get some other things that they're saying that are wrong. Uh, chapter 1, over in verse 12, um, the Lord is saying that His name's going to be great among the heathen. It says, but you've profaned His name. That name that we're supposed to fear, you've profaned it. You've scorned it. And you say the table of the Lord is polluted. The fruit thereof, even as meat, is contemptible. Behold, also you say, behold. You also say, behold, what a weariness it is. Do any of y'all fall into that trap? Which I'll admit that I have at times. Thinking and allowing myself to think that it's a weariness to serve the Lord. That's wrong. That's wrong. Behold what a weariness it is. And it goes on snuffing at the Lord's table. And the Lord of hosts, and you brought in that which is torn, and the lame, and the sick, and you brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand? Okay, and here in the context, they were allowing these sorry animal sacrifices to be literally sacrificed. Okay, the, the rule was you had to have a good one. He couldn't have sickness, he couldn't have scurvy, he couldn't be a three-legged, one-eyed, you know, two-headed sheep that you didn't want in your herd anyway. You couldn't just get rid of the bad stuff and give it to the Lord. It wasn't acceptable, but that's exactly what they were doing. You say, well, I'm not really much of a, you know, shepherd, literally here. How does this translate to me? 
what in your life are you giving to the Lord, but you're giving just the sorry dregs or pieces of it? A little bit of time, a little bit of energy, a little bit of thought. Are you serving the Lord in a haphazard, sorry way where you're acting like it's just a wearisome or going through the motion? I know over in chapter 3 and verse 14, do you even go as far as saying, it's vain? What's the point? 3.14 says, He is saying it's vain to serve the God. And what is the profit? What is profit in it that we've kept His ordinances and we've walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? You can just feel their sorry attitude throughout this. That going before the Lord is just, it's just discouraging. There's no, real, there's no benefit to it. Me, myself, and I. It's worthless. And then goes on, in verse 15, it says, Now call we the proud happy. I'm jealous of these people who are lifted up in pride, and I think they're happy. I think that's what I'd like. Yea, they that work in wickedness are set up. And yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. It's like, well, I would never be jealous of the proud or the wicked or those that tempt God. No, I'd never do that. Are you ever jealous of the world? And the things they have, and the seeming ease they've got, and the stuff, and the vacations, and just. Or is serving the Lord a weariness? <coughs> Go to verse 16, chapter 3. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. You know, that first attribute those who are fearing the Lord, fearing His name, says they're speaking to one another and around others who fear the Lord. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. So just as the Lord hears your prayers, He hears your godly conversations among your saints as you're speaking and encouraging one another, thinking on the Lord, and a book of remembrance was written before him. He's literally taking note of it. For them that feared the Lord and that thought upon His name. And here's what the Lord says. He says, They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. This is talking about that last day, that final notable day when he comes and he gathers up that which is his and that which is not. Those that are his, it's going to be like picking up jewels. These are his precious jewels that he has bought and paid for, and he'll spare them from the judgment like a man sparing his own son who's serving him. Then you shall return and discern, and you'll be able to see, you'll be able to clearly understand without the veil of sin clouding your eyes. You'll be able to see between the righteous and the wicked. Because there is a difference. There is a difference between the righteous and the wicked. You know what that is? Him that serveth God and him that serveth them not. That's the difference. Brothers and sisters, you have been made a priest. You didn't ask for it. It would have been your choice. You wouldn't ask for it. But by His choosing you and calling you and by Jesus' work, you have been made His priest. And you have a job to do. 
And if you don't know what it is, reread this whole book. See the things not to do, and look at those good descriptions of things that you can and should do. You get to glorify your Father every day. You have an opportunity when you wake up to glorify your Heavenly Father, your Master, the one who bought and paid for you. May we take advantage of that and try to glorify His name as we offer up spiritual sacrifices both from our mouth and from our heart and from our deeds.